You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a season for all things. That means seasons change, right? I'm just amazed how quick seasons change. A week ago, we were huddling together thinking, are we ever going to warm up? And now we're like telling people, could you get away from me? I'm sweating today. So it's amazing in a week. And then here's the other thing how seasons change. A week ago, the playoffs for the NFL were starting. I had all my cowboy bragging rights ready to go for the next four weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I think I'll save them for next year, okay? Um, they're not going to work out this year so much. You know, um, I hope if you didn't make it last week that you're able to join us online. We began a brand new series called Difference Makers. And let me give you the definition. When I say the word difference maker, let me give you the definition. If you have your notes and you want to fill this in, you can. But a difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. A dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with their intentional actions. And here's what we began discovering last week, and we're going to still explore it over the next few weeks, is that Scripture outlines for us God wants us all to become difference makers. That as we go through our daily lives, that we are intentional in our actions and making a difference in the people around us. But one of the things that we discovered last week, and we're learning this together as a church, is as difference makers, there's three characteristics that's always found in people that are difference makers. Whether you're a difference maker at church, in your workplace, a difference maker in today's time, or any even a person that we look in throughout Scripture, they have these same three characteristics. And you can jot these down. We're actually trying to memorize these together. The first characteristic is this. The characteristic, first characteristic of a difference maker is that you're aware there's no way that you can make a difference in somebody's life if you're not aware of the people around you. And unfortunately, the reason many of us miss opportunities to make differences in people's lives is we're so busy with our own life. We're busy with the phone we're looking at. We're busy with our schedule. We're busy with our own routines. It's like everything about us is what's forefront. And we miss the people and situations around us that we might, if we were aware, could take a step forward and be a part of. And here's a second characteristic found in any difference maker. Again, whether with the ones we look at in Scripture or even current people today, we're aware. And the second thing is they adjust. They adjust their lives. It's one thing to be aware and notice that somebody might need something. It's another thing to begin to turn my life and be able to meet that need of that person. Which brings us to the third characteristic. Aware, adjust, and act. If we're only aware, but we never end up acting, how much of a difference maker would we really, really be in life? Probably nothing at all. So those are the three characteristics. Now, if you're here last week, we actually practiced them together. We are going to memorize these together. So church, help me out here. What's the first characteristic? What's the second characteristic? Third. What's the first? Second. Third. Third. Good, you're listening. Okay, I, I like that. So yeah, those are the three characteristics. And I began thinking this week, we have individuals at South Sub Church that are difference makers. And as I just began to think about it last week, several people came to mind. Now, for every person I mentioned, there could be another hundred people I could call out. But here are some people at South Sub Church that with their actions, because they're aware and they're adjusting in their actions, they are making a difference in the lives of people around them. And the first person I think of is my friend Jane Crossan. If you know Jane Crossan, she She's just a unique, wonderful individual. But here's how she's making a difference. There are some former incarcerated individuals that have gotten out of jail, and that she and there's some other people within our church that have a ministry towards them. But she goes over to their house once a month, has four, five, six, seven, eight, nine men there, and she is teaching them how to cook. 
So she tells them what stuff to buy, and they sit around, and they prepare meals. They're learning how to cook, and they're making meals that they could put in the freezer for the next couple of weeks as they're working. I'm going, wow, what a difference maker. Not just because she's helping to feed them, but can you imagine the encouragement that these men have that somebody will invest in them like that? My friend Jane Crossan is the difference maker. I'm thinking another friend of mine here at the church, Jeff Vaughn. Many of you know Jeff. He's been a member here at the church for a very long time. He's on our financial management team. And here's what happens. Every time I'm in a meeting with Jeff Vaughn, I sit in there and listen to how smart he is. And I'm thinking, God, why did you give him all the smartness and give me none of it? Okay? He's just one of those individuals. You're just going, my mind could never think like that. But here's the blessing is to us. Because he's on our financial management team, he is helping make sure that we are solid in our finances and that we are doing a good job managing the gifts that you give to the church. And so I'm thankful for him. And he's a difference maker. Now, there's some here, some ladies here, and they kind of go together as a group. Let me call them out by name. Nancy Nelson, Sue Saunders, Mary Schultz, and Mary Elizabeth Vernon. For many years, they've been writing a newsletter for our senior adult population called The Seasoning. And so when I first came here eight months ago, they said, Keith, would you look at it? We'd like you to write an article if you want to, but we've been doing this one. It's an amazing little newsletter. They put together themselves, write their articles. It's such an encouragement. Now, when I met these four ladies, and they called the, 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 uh, the newsletters called The Seasoning, I'm thinking, I need a name for you ladies, and so I've nicknamed them the Spice Girls, okay? So they're the Spice Girls of the church, and they put together, the, but they are difference makers in what they do. And then I think of my friend Greg Cook. Many of you know Greg. Several years ago, him and several other people, men and women from our church, realized that we need a safety response because we have so many people that go to our church that may have medical needs. We could have an emergency one day, and we have a group of people from our church that they have gone through training, they have gone through education, and they are ready any single Sunday that we meet together. If there's an emergency, a medical emergency, they know what to do exactly like that, and we can help make sure that person gets the best care they can. And not just medical emergency. If there's some kind of crisis, some kind of violent crisis, they're trained as well as two. I'm going, these are people that you may never know about, but they are intentional in their actions, and they are making a difference. Now, we could go on and on and on, right? For every four or five I mentioned, there could be a hundred more here that we talk about. And life is full of difference makers, and Scripture is full of difference makers. And just like in Scripture, I could go on and on and on, but I think we'd all agree that the ultimate difference maker in Scripture is Jesus Christ himself. And so I want to take you to a story today about Jesus and a moment that he made a difference in some people's lives. So if you have your Bibles, or we'll have it up on the screen, you can look up Luke chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 40. And here's what the Scripture says, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And so he had traveled across the lake, but before he could ever get there, the crowds were waiting for him. His reputation, his notoriety had grown at such a high level. If you're here last week, we looked at a story of Jesus um, having a little boy and making him rise from the dead. This takes place a few days, a few weeks after that. And the Bible says this, that his notoriety spread throughout the region. And so when Jesus got off this boat and he got to this new community, this new city, the people were waiting for him there. You might think about it, and I think it's important as we look at this story to really get a visual picture. Imagine the most crowded, the most busiest day at Disney World 
And that's what I think those streets were like. I think Jesus walked in there and there were people side by side because his disciples were with him. The Bible says people came to watch him and see him. Hopefully he would heal them. Maybe some just came to watch the show. But it was just a crowded street just full of people. And here's what the Bible says happens next. That then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter... Who, has, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. So again, I want you to go back to the visualness because you need to understand kind of the, 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 the craziness of the scene here. There were people everywhere. Before Jairus ever approached Jesus, they were just trying to get through. They're just like a busy day at, at Walt Disney World. And all of a sudden, this man who was a leader at the local synagogue or the church came to him. And the Bible says this, that he fell at Jesus' feet. I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World and you saw somebody fall at somebody else's feet. I've been there before. It wasn't a man that's needing his daughter healed. It was a six-year-old that wasn't going any further on that day. Okay, you've been there before throwing just a fit right there. Where there's a Disney World or the grocery store, you've seen it, and that child just falls and just throws his fit. Now, Jairus is not throwing a fit. But can you imagine the spectacle that was created when he fell at the feet of Jesus? Because people were trying to move along, they were trying to inch along, they were side by side. So for anybody just to stop right there and fall on their knees would have created this just kind of collision of all people. But the Bible said he did more than just fall at his feet. The Bible says he pled with Jesus. We don't know exactly what words he used. We don't know how he said it. But I know my father, and I know if my 12-year-old child is about to die, I know how I would say it. There would be moans and groans. My pleading would not be a polite, please, sir, could you come? It would be almost a wailing to get his attention. And so you can imagine as he fell on his knees there, everybody kind of stopped and they kind of watched and they're gathering around. They're making a circle around it to see what's going on there. And he pled with Jesus to come heal his daughter. You know, I wonder, did the man who was asking Jesus, Jairus, who was asking Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter, did he know about Jesus a few days earlier had helped this boy rise from the dead? If that's true, it could be going, Jesus, I don't want you to raise my daughter from the dead. I don't want my daughter to ever die. Could you please just come to my house? You're the one. My only hope is in you, Jesus. And the Bible says this, that Jesus listened to him, he heard him, and he followed the man home to take care of his daughter. Now, you might be looking at this point of the scripture going, okay, if we're talking about, and, and, and as far as just being a difference maker, being aware and then adjusting and acting, this is what's taking place right there. But here's what I'd propose to you. This is not what's taking place there. I think at this moment in Jesus' life, he is in his normal daily routine. This is not really like we look at it, it looks like an awareness and adjustment. But this is not an adjustment to Jesus. At this point in his ministry, he's used to wherever he goes. People are saying, can you come over here and heal me? Can you take care of this? Can you do this? And so I think Jesus at this moment in his life was simply in a normal routine of his daily life. And this man asked him to come heal his daughter. And that's what he's going to do. Because I want you to look and see what happens next. As the man, or as Jesus is following Jairus, 
he has an interruption to this routine. And it says this, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up from behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked, and everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. So let's break this down a little bit. First of all, you have this woman, and she's had a bleeding condition for 12 years. Now, I don't want to make light of her condition. I'm sure it was inconvenient. I'm sure it was painful at times. But here's what we can draw from the passage, that her condition, this bleeding condition that she'd had for 12 years, was not life-threatening. Yes, inconvenience. Uncomfortable, yes. Does she wish she didn't have it? Absolutely. But it wasn't life-threatening. So you have this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, And then you have a little girl who's been living for 12 years and about to die. If we had to prioritize which is the most important one, which would we put as the priority? It would be the little girl about to die. Again, not to make light of the woman, but her problems weren't near as difficult and bad and life-threatening as the little girl's problems. But yet she comes up behind Jesus And she doesn't ask permission. She doesn't ask and plead like the man did, like Jairus did. The Bible says this, that she came up next to him and she touched the the hem, the, the robe, the tassels of his robe. And Jesus, when that happened, just stopped. He said, who touched me? So if there was a scene when Jairus fell on his knees, there becomes a bigger scene at this point. Because the, the streets are still crowded. It still feels like Disney World on a very busy, busy day. And they're trying to get Jesus to an emergency to go take care of this little girl who's about to die. And Jesus stops right there and says, who touched me? You can imagine the people that were following him to see what might happen. You can imagine the disciples are going, Jesus. In fact, one of the disciples goes, Jesus, chill a little bit. Like, everybody's touching you. You can't walk through these streets without somebody bumping you and touching you. Jesus wasn't talking about a casual bump. He wasn't talking about a, oops, I'm sorry, I I stepped into your pathway bump. He was talking about somebody that had intentionally reached out and touched him. Because the Bible lets us know that he could feel his healing powers come out of him as this woman touched him. You see, she touched him in faith. She believed everything she'd heard about Jesus. She believed he was the healer. She believed he was a son of God. And she just knew if she could only touch him, though her condition may not be as bad as the young girl's, her condition was still hers and it was real. And she believed that she could just touch him. And so Jesus exclaimed, who touched me? And his disciples kind of, Jesus, everybody's probably touched you here. It's no big deal. Here's what I want you to see at this place. At this moment in time when Jesus is about his normal everyday routine, which for Jesus was going to heal a young girl, he became aware of someone else's need. He became aware of her need. When we become aware of people's needs around us, it very, begins very internally. It's this point that our eyes begin to see people as Jesus sees people. When we become aware of people, just like Jesus did at that moment, there is this compassion that once we see them, this compassion begins welling up inside of us. And not only do we see people as God sees them, as Jesus sees them, we want to respond to them as God would want to respond to them. And so Jesus, the difference maker, he becomes aware And the next step he takes, not only is he aware, he adjusts his life to her. You know, the normal, 
the thing that would make sense in our mind is like, well, who touched me? But I don't have time for you. If you'll just wait here, let me go take care of this girl. And maybe if I have time when I finish that, I can get back to you. But Jesus adjusted his normal everyday routine once he became aware of the needs of this woman and he adjusted his focus on her and he called out who touched me and he said no but somebody deliberately touched me for healing power to go out for me and then look what scripture says and when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden she began to tremble if you write in your bible if you circle things circle that she began to tremble can you imagine how scared she is at this moment? Like she stepped out on faith. She didn't want to disturb him. She didn't mean to stop Jesus. She just wanted to touch his robe because she knew this is the son of God. If she could just touch his robe, she would be healed of this, this, this infirmity that she had suffered for for 12 years. She didn't mean to mess up the day. She didn't mean to create an interruption. And so when Jesus said, I know somebody touched me and I'm not moving any further till I find out. The Bible says she came to him trembling. Here's why that's important to me. When I read that, I wonder how many times in my life, in my everyday routines, are there people that need something? I don't have the power of Jesus for them to touch my robe or my coat and heal them. Never claim that. But maybe they just need a word of encouragement. Maybe they just need a small gift of generosity. Maybe they just need to be known and noticed because they feel so overlooked in life. But I wonder how many people who come in contact with me during my everyday routines, there's trembling on their part because they don't want to bother me. I'm not wearing a sign going, don't bother me, I'm busy. I'm not shouting at people going, stay away, stay away, stay away. I, I, I don't have time for you. But maybe my lack of awareness emits this just kind of this thing coming from me going, I don't have time for you. And people need something from me. They desire something from me. They want something from me. But it's just this like, no, no, I'm not going there because it's a little kind of scary to go there. Are you with me? Can I ask you this? Don't leave me all alone at this point in the sermon. Anybody confess you may put that off sometimes with people? Either by looking at them and just a glare that we have at them. Or you know what I'm realizing in life? We do it more passive-aggressively. If I'm around people that I don't want to be bothered by being aware of their needs, I pull out my trusty little phone and I act like I'm doing something important on it, like checking Facebook. Ouch. Sorry, if that hurt, I apologize for that right there. Look what happens next. It says, when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. You can see the crowd going, holding their breath. What is Jesus going to do? They're, they're probably thinking if she, you know, bothered him, he's going to lash out at her. And that she had been and that she had immediately been healed. And so Jesus did adjust. He became aware of her, and he adjusted his attention to her. If being aware of people is internally, adjusting our lives requires 
externally. If all I do is see your need and all I have is internal compassion for you, but I never adjust the direction of my life, what good will I really do for you? You see, difference makers don't go away and go, oh, I feel sorry for that person. Oh, I have compassion for that person. Difference makers, if you only stop at being aware, you'll never be a difference maker. Jesus was on his routine to heal this young girl, and he turned and he post and he focused on the young le- or the older lady that needed some help. And then it goes on and say, verse eight, verse forty-eight, daughter, he said to her, "Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace." Here's what we need to understand when we read this. Jesus is doing more than declaring her healed. She was already healed. Remember, the Bible says this, that when she reached out and touched his robe, she felt her healing, her bleeding stopped right there. Healing had already taken place. So at this moment when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, he's not talking about her physical body. He's talking about her spiritual soul. Because what had transpired there is she became what we would call in today's terminology a follower of Jesus at that moment. Because she had made a sal- she had experienced a salvation experience. Her faith had made her well physically, but her faith in Jesus as the Son of God had given her relationship with the one she had just touched his robe. Now, church, listen to me. This is so important because if we miss this, we might as well quit the whole series right now. The purpose of being a difference maker is not so we can bless somebody in line in front of us at, at Starbucks. The purpose of being a difference maker, I think of even my friend Jane Cross, is not just so she can cook a meal for some guys that's just so needed. The purpose of us striving to be difference makers is not so we can meet the physical need of somebody. It is so we can introduce them to the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. And so when we're intentional and we look at people and we reach out and meet their needs, our prayers is, God, may my little act of obedience be a catalyst for them to see you in me. May my, 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 act, my, my, may my act of obedience be an occasion that they can experience and see what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. That's why we're difference makers. Not just so we can do something nice and feel good about ourselves. It is so we can make an impact on the kingdom of God eternally. And so Jesus looked at this woman. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you spiritually well. Your faith has made you spiritually whole. He acted. He became aware. He adjusted. And then he acted. Now, this is an amazing story. It'd be an amazing, amazing story if we stopped there. The woman who touched him is going, thank you, Jesus. I'm not bleeding. I'm going to heaven. This is awesome. She's probably doing like a hallelujah dance right there in the street. But the story doesn't stop there. It says in verse 49, and while he was still speaking to her, a messenger from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, came. And he told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher anymore. Can you feel the, 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 the wind? Just, whew, this whole story feels like it is like gray, gray, gray. Oh, yes, she's no longer bleeding, but the girl is dead. And you want to say, what kind of story is this? We want to say, that's why I don't want interruptions. 
Okay, that's why my daily routine, because look what happened when he was interrupted. And those famous words of the servant, there's no use troubling the Savior. And so many times we, we shy away from interruptions. We shy away of being aware. Why? Can we confess? Because that's a trouble. I've got my day planned out. And if I see somebody over there with a flat tire and I pull over to try to help them, it will mess up my routine that I planned for the day. If I stop long enough to speak to my neighbor, I know that neighbor can't speak for just a few minutes. And a few minutes will be a long minutes. I just don't have time for my day to be interrupted that way. It's a trouble. But I want you to notice who identified it as a trouble. Did Jesus say it was a trouble? No way. It was the servant of Jairus. It was the outsiders looking in. But Jesus never one single time in this whole account ever declared it was a trouble. He didn't say the woman was a trouble. He didn't say Jairus' daughter was a trouble. He didn't say being interrupted was a trouble. Nothing about this was trouble. Here's what Jesus would say. Everything about this was an opportunity, not a trouble. Because look what happens next. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, and the little girl's father and her mother. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the crying, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the Bible says this, but the crowd laughed at Jesus because all they knew she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand and he said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. <coughs> her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Wow. Talk about an interruption. Everybody's worried about being in trouble. No one wanted to do it because of all that was going on. And here a miracle transpired. Let me read something to you. See if this fits. While we are fretting over our daily routines being interrupted, God is busy writing miracles into our story. Let me say it one more time. While we are fretting over our daily routines being interrupted, God is busy writing miracles in our story. And I think back to my life. I wonder how many miracles I missed that God was writing, wanting to write into my story. Because I was too busy to be aware, too preoccupied to be aware. I wasn't willing to adjust my life to what he put in front of me. It was too much trouble. I never acted on it. And what God was saying, no, no, this is not an interruption. This is an opportunity. I am creating and writing a scenario to put a miracle right into your life. That's what it means to be a difference maker. Not to go around healing people from the dead, and we don't have to make a sick girl be well again. It's simply going, God, I am available to do what you want to do through me in the lives of other people. That's what it means to be a difference maker. And so let me, let me wrap up by giving you three kind of interruption ideas here. These ideas that we have about our interruptions, let me put them in a better context. It's on your outline if you want to take notes. Here's the first one. My routine is full of opportunities for God to use me. 
we saw in our story, we talked about in our story, let's just declare it in our own story. My routine is full of opportunities for God to use me. When you walked in today, you should have received one of these. Everybody get one of these? Can you pick it up and just hold it up for a second? I just want to make sure you got it. And I also want to make sure you're still awake. Okay, here we go. Yeah, everybody's got it. Let me tell you why I gave this to you, okay? Here's just a great way that we can be aware. On here says, Difference Maker, My Routine. And here's what I want you to do. In fact, you've got pens, you're taking notes. I want you to take a couple minutes and do this now. Think about your life over the next couple of days, your routine of life. You're going to go to the grocery store. You're going to get your hair done. You've got to go by the library. You're going to go see a friend over here. You've got these different things you're doing. Do me a favor and just take a few minutes and write those activities or events that you have going on in your life just in the circles there. And here's what I have you do this. I just want you to kind of get a visual picture of what your life might look like or will look like over the next couple of days. And as you fill in those, maybe the grocery store is in one of those circles, maybe visiting the neighbors in another circle. I got choir practice on Thursday night. might be another circle. You put all that in there. And here's what I want you to remember as you write that down. That that routine, this, your life is full of opportunities. I mean, think about it this way. You're writing stuff, your routine on this side. God's going to take the other side and he's going, well, you write your routines. I'm writing out a miracle for your story right now. God is putting them together. But we get so busy in our routine that we miss the opportunities that God is preparing for us. So I know when I did mine, I've got it in my office and I write it down. I got a grocery store on there. And I'm telling myself, Keith, when I go to the grocery store, have my eyes looking more for than just the bananas and oranges that I want. Have it look for somebody that God might be putting in my path. Even if it's just for a minute. Even if it's just for a word of encouragement. I think back several weeks ago, I went to the grocery store and I was lazy. And sometimes I actually like to talk to people, so I'll go through where they actually check them out. You know the old school thing where they check out your groceries for you? And so I'm going through there, and there's a young boy. He looked like he's in high school. I would see him every working there at the store, and I, he was checking me out. And I was, I, as I we're going through there, I'm like, listen, I see you all the time. Like, what? Are you in school? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm a senior in high school. I'm like, what, do you live here? Because if you're going to school, I see you here. And he goes, oh, yeah. He said, I'm trying to save money for college, and I'm working here 40 hours a week, and I'm going to high school. I'm going, whoa. You know what I did? Oh, great. I got my groceries and left. And I walked out of there. Wouldn't a word of encouragement to him going, hey, great job. What if I would have looked at him and just said, hey, listen, can I, I, I believe in prayer. Can I just pray for you? Just what school do you plan on going to? I'm just going to pray that, for that school for you. Even just something quick like that. Not stop there and lay hands on him, but just that word of acknowledging him. And I'm going, I was so busy in my routine that I wasn't aware for an interruption. And when I missed interruption, I missed the opportunity. Here's, here's the second truth about interruptions. Interruptions to my routine are not inconveniences, they are opportunities. Again, we've talked about in the story. I'm going to pray something for you as, as your pastor for the church, and you may not like me for this, but here's my prayer this week. I pray that you have the most interrupted week you've ever had in your life. You're going, oh, no. What? Nobody wants that prayer, do you? Because we got my week planned out. Don't mess up my week. That's not messing up your week, that's empowering your week. So your pastor is praying that you have the most interrupted week of your life this week. And then here's the last one. An easy opportunity is found through an invitation. Now, let me explain. 
Sometimes when we look at the life of Jesus, it can just freak us out. Like, freak us out like, I can't do that. Like, I don't have the power to heal somebody. I don't know what to say like he says. And so Jesus seems so way up here. And we're like, I can never be like Jesus. And so instead of taking a tiny step to be like Jesus, we take no steps to be like Jesus. Are you with me? Here's one of the easiest steps you can take in your easy, your, your regular routine and interruptions. It's called, you're invited. Let me explain. We have these cards printed. We're, we just hand them out for the first time. When you leave here today, you have the opportunity to pick some of these up. And they're your invited cards. And it says, you're invited to South Sub Church. You flip it over to the other side. And it says, we have a 9 o'clock service and describes it. And we have an 11 o'clock service and describes it. Now, one of the best, easiest ways that you can connect with somebody, that you can encourage somebody when you're interrupted with them in whatever circumstance it is, you say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to just give this to you. If you ever want to, we'd love to invite you to South Sub Church. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't take the place of other things that God might want us to do. But sometimes we're so overwhelmed with what I should do that I simply do nothing. And so here's our goal is that we become in 2024 an inviting church. That we are always aware, that we're always adjusting, and that we're always acting to minister to people. But one of the best ways that we can minister to people is simply inviting them to come join us in worship. And why would we want them to invite us in worship? Because they meet the people of God. They experience the presence of God. And they are communicated the salvation of God. Wouldn't that be a great way to encourage somebody? So when you leave here today, there's going to be folks standing out in the back. They're going to hand these out to you. If you get one, your pastor's going to pray more hard that you have more interruptions, okay? If you pick up three, I won't pray as hard for the interruptions. You, you see how that works there? So make sure you pick up two or threes. I'm committed. I'm just going to carry these in my pocket when I go somewhere. I'm just going to look for opportunities that I can just share it with somebody. It doesn't relieve me of all other opportunities to minister to people. But it is an easy, simple way that when I come across somebody and I'm interrupted in my schedule by them, I can offer this, offer them, this to them as an invitation to worship with us. So, your pastor is praying for lots of interruptions this week. I hope you send me hate mail this week going, would you stop praying that, okay? Because I'm being interrupted all the time. And I'll just have to simply say, Jesus is writing a miracle in your story. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the difference makers that, that, you, that you show us through your son Jesus and so many other people. May our life resemble Jesus. And so this week, Jesus, for me, for my family in this church, would you make us aware? Would you help us to adjust? And would you lead us to act? And we pray this. In your holy name, amen.